All right, we've got Caroline Kittle bringing the word for the first time from Zoom land. So take it away, Caroline. All right, thanks, Ken. Well, this is different and exciting. So hi, everybody. Good morning, and thank you for um, being here and to Elle for presiding. Um, I wanted to give a warm welcome to any newcomers who might be joining on Zoom or in the room. And just a quick shout out to the young people in our youth groups who might be with the roomies right now. I miss seeing you all today since I've been sick. So at Blue Ocean, um, many of us grew up hearing about the stories of miracles in the Bible. Um, but if you didn't, you're in good company today because it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I heard about this one. It's one of the great miracles of Jesus that no one ever talks about. He had... 12 close friends in his 30s. <laughs> so I, I actually tried to tell um, a rambunctious group of sixth graders that one once, and um, that was some years ago, and they didn't really laugh as hard as I did. <laughs> but when they reach 30, I think they're going to see. Um, so friendship is uh, one of those great miracles that no one ever talks about. Um, in our society, uh, much is made of romantic love, particularly heteronormative love culminating in marriage. In Christianity, marriage has been likened to the relationship between Jesus and his oneness with the church body, his bride. And one of my favorite books of the Hebrew Bible, the Song of Songs. It's all about love and longing. So it never actually mentions God, but it's long been read as a picture of God's love and intimate longing for God's people. And in the Song of Songs, chapter five, um, there's some pretty racy lines there about pounding hearts and dripping honey. But the chapter ends by saying, this is my beloved and this is my friend. So friendship is the key to romantic love, but friendship is so much more than that. Our society divides people into us and them, but friendship has the power to overcome those divides. Friendship can abide within families. And the Proverbs say that there is a friend who sticks closer than family. Friendships can help us live longer and the ones that end in loss or betrayal, they can really break our hearts. So at Blue Ocean, we often say that we need connection more than we need answers. Connection with ourselves, with our world, and with God. So today, I'd like to emphasize the importance of connection by focusing on friendship. Now, when I was in the fifth or sixth grade youth group, um, I remember the teacher asking us to share something about ourselves that we are proud of, like a skill or a talent. Now, I couldn't think of anything um, that I was proud of about myself. I was probably a little nervous, but no skills or talents came to mind, not art, not music, not sports. And this is my exaggerated memory, but the other kids shared these perfect answers and our teacher's face just reflected them with joy. It was like beaming in his face. So when my turn came, I frantically tried to think of something interesting to share, but I couldn't think of anything. And then I thought, well, wait, I have friends. I, I love my friends. Um, so I said, uh, I have friends. And the teacher's face kind of fell 
And he said, that's not really what he was asking for. Now, just a minute, because I know that my teacher always emphasized caring for the outcast and the vulnerable because we were in church. So I remember thinking, well, maybe I had made the other kids feel bad, like by focusing on popularity, which is actually exclusive of the outcast and the vulnerable. Of course, friendships that are based on wealth and popularity, they're fleeting and shallow. And they really quickly disappear when the going gets tough. But there are many stories in the Bible of a powerful friendship love that can disrupt the status quo. These examples of friendship love gather in the outcast. They uplift the vulnerable and they transform enemies into friends. So I want to give a few examples. Um, many people understand God as this all-powerful being, and we are his lowly creatures. But there's another way to understand God as a friend. So Abraham is called a friend of God. And Moses spoke with God face to face as one speaks with a friend. In another Bible story, Jonathan is the son of King Saul and supposed to be enemies with his father's biggest rival, David. But the story says that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Later, the prophets Elisha and Elijah, they were from different generations, young and old. And the younger says to the older, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Ruth and Naomi, a daughter-in-law and a mother-in-law, they're from two opposing nations, Moab and Israel. And yet Ruth says to Naomi, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. This is the transformative power of friendship love. So I, I added to the bulletin um, this reading from the Gospel of John in chapter 15, 12 through 17. And this is where Jesus is telling his disciples to love one another as a reflection of his own friendship love. So you can look on the bulletin or Zoomies in the chat. And Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay one's life down for one's friends. He says, you are my friends. If you do what I command you, I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I've heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. It seems here that Jesus's love is not so much like a marriage, which we got to admit, I mean, it's a, it's a lovely analogy, but even more so Jesus calls us friend and even he calls God father. 
and I kept the the, the gendered um, words in when I'm in my reading, but he describes this mutual closeness with God, which is more like a friendship where everything is revealed and shared. This friendship love, it doesn't remain between just two people, like in a monogamous relationship. This is the kind of love that is this great intimacy with God and extends to others like a vine that bears much fruit going from one person to many. And we are given this word so that we may love one another. There's a, a beautiful little proverb, 2719, that Jesus would have been familiar with. And I think it brings this teaching home. So we're going to take a moment to look at very two translation, very two different translations of this proverb. So the NRSV, the updated edition, it just came out this month. It says, just as water reflects the face, so one human heart reflects another. It's beautiful. But then the New American Standard Bible translation translates like this. As in water, a face reflects a face. So the heart of a person reflects the person. So are you with me on that? Each translation carries a, a slightly different meaning. And I wonder, is this proverb talking about reflecting the heart face to face, like as one speaks with a friend? Or is it describing an individual's heart reflecting who they truly are? Now, according to the French Rabbi Rashi, who has a full commentary on the Hebrew Bible, um, the words mean friend. Rashi's commentary says, according to how much someone knows that their friend loves them, so they will show them their face. So I wonder, you know, how might this beautiful little proverb on friendship and its powerful commentary by Rashi apply to our own lives, that according to how much someone knows that their friend loves them, so they will show them their face. Now, my mom, who some of you know as Diane Sanda or Dai Dai, is in the room somewhere, I think, uh, she has a friend like this, one who has stuck by her closer than family. And this is a friend who, whom she can reveal her truest self. And my mom's friend has a daughter who became my lifelong friend and one to whom I can reveal everything. Over the years, we made new, mutually beloved friendships. And these friendships have transcended divisions of race, religion, orientation, and gender. So we have this close-knit friendship group that formed, and it includes her wife now and all our partners and all the kids moving into the next generation. So I'm grateful for these friendships because they've shown me how one steadfast love connection can spread to others and it enables us to reflect and reveal our truest selves to one another according to how much we know we are loved. Jesus revealed everything to his friends, everything that he heard from God. So go, he says, and love one another like that, as I have loved you. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Love is a choice, and the depth of our love allows our friends to show us their true face 
so that we may see them and bear witness to them. This kind of friendship love has a great power to transform our entire world. Now we're nearing the end and I, I just wanna take a brief moment to look at friendship loss and betrayal. Now, Jesus gave this teaching to, one another, to love one another uh, at the last supper. It was the night before he died. So he's sharing this meal with his 12 miraculous best buds. And right before he commands them to love one another, he predicts that one will betray him and one will deny him. When he finishes his teaching, the story just launches into description of the betrayal and the denial that Jesus knew was coming. I don't want to dwell on the grief of betrayal or loss of friendship for too long, because I know that this is a painful experience that too many of us have known. Studies show that Tylenol can help with this kind of pain. But I do want to take a moment to acknowledge that these kinds of losses are part of being a friend and the consequence of loving others deeply. Betrayal and loss of friendship are uh, forms of ambiguous loss. So my dearest friend, Sheila, introduced me to this term, ambiguous loss. It includes any kind of heartbreak or loss that's it's not clearly ritualized in our society. So marriage, birth, and death, they're ritualized and honored. But ambiguous loss includes things like loss of friendship, breakups, betrayal, loss of functioning, mental illness, significant life changes, various transitions, rejection by one's family, and so on. All these might fall into this category of ambiguous loss. And these are the kinds of losses that might not get clear closure and sometimes have little hope of making any sense at all. David Kessler is an expert on grief and he wrote this really helpful article um, in LitHub that describes our experience of grief as being unique as a fingerprint. He writes that every one of us shares a need for our unique grief to be witnessed. I wonder if Kessler means like water reflects the face or like the heart of a friend to a friend. We don't need platitudes, silver linings or Bible quotes. We have a very human need to be seen and heard. We need connection. Kessler says that this is hardwired in us because our emotions bind us to one another and in these bonds is the key to our survival. David Kessler also writes that our brains are equipped with mirroring neurons, which is why when the mother smiles, the baby smiles back. But grief can be so isolating because in our busy world, there's just not time for people to sit with us and be present with us in our loss. He says, every loss has meaning and all losses are to be grieved and witnessed. He also has a rule on pet loss, our beloved furry friends. I love this quote. He says, if the love is real, the grief is real. So just like romantic love, friendships can end in loss or even betrayal. 
But as the Proverbs say, there is a friend who sticks closer than family. This is the kind of friendship love that I think Jesus has to offer and encourages us to share with one another. It's the kind of love that the the disciples gave Jesus, the kind that says, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. This is the kind of love that enables our friends to fully reveal to us their faces and their hearts. At Blue Ocean, this is the kind of connection that we seek because we believe that we need connection more than we need answers, connections to ourselves, to each other, and to God. So now we're going to um, move into a time of meditation. And um, we're gonna do a somewhat traditional meditation by um, focusing on our breath and witnessing our thoughts and our bodies. Considering the news of the past few weeks, we acknowledge that it might be challenging to settle your body and mind. So trauma can be defined as too much, too fast, too soon, or too much for too long, and or not enough for too long. We're aware that people with symptoms of mental illness are are far more often um, victims of trauma and violence than they are perpetrators of harm. So if you're struggling, you are not alone. Be gentle on yourself. If you can try, get comfortable. Release um, any tension you might feel in your chest, your neck, your body. Feel your feet on the floor and the chair beneath you. Breathe in through your nose and out if you're able. Close your eyes or gaze downward for two minutes. Notice the coolness of the air as it enters your nose and fills your chest. And then notice the warmth as it's released. Remember that babies, children, and people make noise. Um, Now, if a thought arises as you're focusing on your breathing, witness the thought. Just witness it. Don't judge the thought. Don't reject the thought. Don't let it consume you. Just witness the thought as it comes and goes. And when you're ready, gently return your attention back to your breathing. I'm going to set the timer for two minutes as we witness ourselves and the world. Let's begin.
Okay. Now, uh, Molly is going to lead us in our ritual of lighting the candles, praying for loved ones in communion. 